Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church of Imperial Valley. We would love to help you plan your visit, so we encourage you to visit our website at www.cccciv.org for service times and our events calendar. Or get the app. You'll find the Christ Community Church IV mobile app in your app store for Apple or Android devices. We're going to read verse 1 and verse 14. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now look at verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. When you hear the word incarnation... That comes from the Latin where the word became flesh comes from, our English. The Latin is where we get incarnation from. So when you hear incarnation, think the word became flesh. That's where it comes from, the term. Many of you hear it, you don't understand it. Now turn to Matthew 2 as we get into the events surrounding the birth of Christ. We're going to read the first 12 verses, so read along with me. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw a star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. By the way, the wise men didn't go directly to Herod's palace. When they showed up, the star that was leading them disappeared and reappeared again. So they're going around Jerusalem inquiring where the king of the Jews is born. These wise men would have had an entourage. They probably weren't on camels. They were probably on stallions because they came from Persia. But they came, and the city was troubled, probably because they may have thought it was an opposing army that was going to invade them. There wasn't just three people that showed up. Herod was troubled for other reasons that we'll get into. When Herod heard this, the king, Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. He's lying through his teeth. (laughs) After listening to the king, they went their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, 
and they fell down and worshipped him. Notice they worshipped him, not his mother. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Let's pray and ask God to move on our hearts this morning. Lord, we ask that you would just speak to us. Bring your word alive in our hearts this morning as we look into it. Speak to each soul here and may we leave edified and closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. In the incarnation, the arrival of Jesus Christ in this world, we realize that God's ways are not our ways. Our minds is not even close to his mind. Our mind doesn't think the way the mind of God does. When we think about the time and place in which he chose to bring his son into this world, I don't know if you and I would have done it that way. I don't know if you and I would have chose the route that God did. In other words, if you were sovereign and possessing all power and all ability and all possessions, you are king of the universe, how would you come into this world? What city would you choose? Would you choose New York City? Would you choose Paris? Or in the day of Jesus, would you choose Rome, the seat of power? Or would you choose Jerusalem, the seat of religion? Would you come into a palace lined with gold and a crib that's made out of the finest wood from a master craftsman? Who would you announce it to? Who would you include? What city would you choose, but what would you do in diving into this world if you were God? There's the matter of time, too. Looking back at history, we see where Jesus was born at a certain point, probably 6 to 4 B.C. But would you have chose today with the modern technology? Would you have chose with Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and news networks that tie the entire world together? Would you choose this day and age of technology? Galatians 4.4 says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of a woman born under the law. In other words, in the perfect time in history, God brought forth his son, not in the 21st century with technology, but in the first century or just before what we would call the first century. And he wasn't born in Rome and he wasn't born in Jerusalem. He was born in a tiny, obscure what some would say village called Bethlehem. He wasn't born in a palace. He was born in a manger. He wasn't laid to rest in a handcrafted crib. He was laid in a food trough. The announcement didn't come to the influencers and movers and shakers of that day who everybody would have known. They came to lowly shepherds on a hill when it was announced I don't think you and I would have done it this way. But the incarnation is not a matter of speculation because when you look at it, it, it reveals that God's strategy highlights his sovereignty. In other words, God is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. 
And the way he brought Jesus into this world speaks loudly of that. We wouldn't have chose a manger. We wouldn't have chose many of the things that God set up for the birth of Christ, but that's the way he did it, and it speaks loudly. From the moment he was born, don't let his surroundings fool you. He was still born the king of kings. He was still born as that king in a manger that day. In fact, one of the major themes in the Gospel of Matthew, if you read it through, is that of proving that Jesus is the king. He wrote to a Jewish audience in the beginning, and he wanted to prove to them that Jesus was the king that they were expecting, and that's why he opens his gospel with verse 1 of chapter 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. He wanted them to know right from the beginning that he was the fulfillment of the promised seed of David that would sit on the throne and rule forever and ever. He also wanted us to know that this is God with us. And that's why towards the end of chapter 1 and verse 23, it says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is God with us. When God broke into this world, he came in in a way that nobody would expect, but he often does things in an unexpected way, and the ones who find him are the ones who truly want to see him. The ones who don't want to see him, the ones who don't want anything to do with God, he is often hidden from their very eyes. But one of the most important things in this gospel is that he highlights the truth that Jesus is the king. So he bookends his gospel with that theme. In chapter 2, the wise men show up and their words are, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? He doesn't mention king of the Jews until the last week of his life. In the end, when he comes into Jerusalem, the final week, riding on the donkey, they begin to hail him as king. And Matthew proclaims that as a prophetic fulfillment. Here's what it says in verse 4 of chapter 21. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey on a colt, the foal of a beast in burden. After Jesus is then arrested, we see king of the Jews once again. He faces Pontius Pilate. As he faces Pontius Pilate, he asks him a question. So chapter 27, verse 11 says, Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, You have said so. After that, he is beaten, and he is mocked by the Roman soldiers, and we see that king of the Jews come up again. In chapter 27, verses 27 to 29, it says, Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him, and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand, and kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And then when he is crucified, there is a sign put over his head, so verse 37 of that same chapter says, and over his head they put the charge against him, which read, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. And then he is crucified. He dies on the third day. He rises again. And then we see in the final chapter, in his final words, after Jesus is risen in chapter 28, giving the great commission to his disciples he says 
right off the bat in verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He is the king of kings. Revelation 19, 16, when he comes back again, it says on his robe and on his thigh, he is a name written king of kings and the Lord of lords. Now, I know we say things like you need to make Jesus Lord of your life, but I've got news for you. He already is Lord of your life. Whether you reject him or receive him, he is Lord of your life. He is in control. He has absolute authority. And you could come to him in faith and you can bow like the wise men and you can come to him as the king of kings or you can be like the Roman soldiers and bow before him and mock him and ridicule him. But make no mistake about him. Jesus is Lord. And that's why in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, it says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It is better to bow to Jesus now as the king than to have to face him later and bow forcibly. Now, in Matthew 2, the events that follow the birth of Jesus reveal him as the promised king. In chapter 2, we see the wise men showing up, and that's where we first see the statement that Jesus is the king of the Jews. But when you read chapter 2, there's evidence that points to Jesus as the king of the Jews. There's three things in chapter 2 that make it clear in our passage that we read that Jesus is king of the Jews. First of all, we have the witness of the wise men. We're on the point of verification of Jesus' kingship. In other words, we are looking at the fact that Jesus is verified and the truth that he is king is established right from the beginning. The wise men show up and they become the witness. They are a witness of the fact that Jesus is the king of the Jews. And it's strange because you look at them and they're an interesting group of people. The only thing it says is that they're wise men from the east. Now, Matthew doesn't even get into the stuff that Luke does on the birth account. He doesn't get into things like the announcement to the shepherds. He doesn't get into things like when he was born, he was wrapped in swaddling cloths. When he was born, there was no room in the inn for him, and he had to go to a manger. There's none of that that's ever mentioned from Matthew. He jumps right into this speaking about the wise men and the witness that they are going to bring. So he begins, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, skips everything else and goes right into this. These wise men, a lot of people have wondered, who are these guys? I mean, they show up and they come from the east and they give witness to the fact that Jesus is king. Who is this group of people? They are so significant in the fact that they witnessed to Jesus as king that many myths and traditions have developed about him. In other words, some people say that there were three of these wise men, that because there were three gifts given, gold and frankincense and myrrh, that there were only three wise men. The Bible doesn't say that. Truth being, there were probably many, many of them that came. There was an entourage that came to see them. Well, as the years went on, it began to evolve into something else. These three wise men were not just wise men. They were given the title kings. 
we sing today one of the Christmas carols, We Three Kings, but the Bible nowhere says that they were kings. After that, they're not only kings, they're given names. They were given the names Melchior, Casper, and Balthazar. So now all of a sudden, the wise men are three, and they're three kings, and now they've got names. Then the myths continue on about the wise men, and they've got beards, and one's darker than the other, and you've seen all the manger scenes and everything else. The only thing probably accurate about that is the long flowing robes. But it does beg the question, who are they? Who are these three guys that everybody talks about, that songs were written about them, who they've declared to be kings? Well, the Greek word is magi, and that's where we get our English word magician from or magic from. And truth is, these wise men were people that studied the stars. They studied astronomy. They were into astrology. They were into science. They were very, very smart men. They were very, very sharp men. They were your scholars of the day, if you will. And they understood a lot of things about life. And so the Magi were really wise in what this world was all about. They understood the way things worked. They understood the way the stars worked and things like that. They first show up in the book of Daniel, or that's where they're most prominent in the Old Testament. We see mentioned a number of times the wise men, the wise men. When Daniel is taken away captive to Babylon and he is put in Babylon, the king has a dream and Daniel interprets the dream. And when he interprets the dream, none of the wise men could do that. And so all of a sudden now Daniel finds himself in this position of authority where he's governor of a great region, but he's also, it says, the Bible says that he's the prefect. In other words, he's over the wise men. So through the years, the wise men began to respect Daniel. They saw his character. They saw his integrity. They looked at his life. They saw his wisdom that the Lord had given him. And he taught many, many things about the Jewish Messiah. In fact, the book of Daniel in chapter 9 actually tells you when the Messiah is going to ride into Jerusalem. It tells you to the day, to the T, when the king was going to ride into Jerusalem. So Daniel, while he was in Babylon, and then later Medo-Persian Empire after they conquered Babylon, that while he was there, he taught many things what the Jewish scriptures had said. In fact, we know he even had the book of Daniel there because he knew when the time of their captivity was going to come up based on what Daniel said. Well, it was Daniel's influence in that foreign land hundreds of years before Jesus was born where they began to start to study and where they began to understand some of the Jewish scriptures. In fact, some of them believe that they followed this star based on Numbers chapter 24 where it says a star, you know, a scepter will come forth. It was a prophecy by Balaam. And so these people were influenced from generation to generation. It was passed down until the day Jesus was born. They knew when to show up. Now, we don't know what the star is. It doesn't say exactly how that is. There's many theories. We know that these guys studied the star. Some believe that it was when Saturn lined up with Jupiter at that time. They go back in history, and they can see how the stars were aligned. Others say it was Halley's Comet. And then there's other theories that go on and on and on. And truth of the matter is, it really doesn't matter what the star was. 
The point is God divinely led them. There's some people, and really they're a pain in Bible studies because they want to talk about the star. And the star is the least thing to be concerned with. It's the fact that God would bring Gentiles from the east to give witness to the fact that the king was born. Gentiles, non-Jews from an eastern land, what the Jews would consider pagans, they came and they were the ones that were given the witness to Jesus after his birth that this is the king that was born. Where is he? And they began to inquire. Now that's an amazing thing in itself that these pagans would travel so far and make such a tough journey just to go see where the king was born. Just to go see him. I mean, there were probably three months travel. There was probably three to eight months that they traveled. Some people say that it was two years it took them to get there. I don't believe that. They based that off of when Herod sent the soldiers into Bethlehem and to butcher all of the babies two years and younger. Herod was just playing it safe. He wasn't going to say, okay, he was, he's two years old, now kill all the babies two years and younger. No, he was, Jesus was probably anywhere from three to eight months old when they started, but he wasn't going to take any chances and leave that in the soldiers' hands. He wanted to make sure that the baby was snuffed out. So they come and they ask. They start inquiring. They show up. They start asking shopkeepers. They start asking people on the street, where is he who is born king of the Jews? And it says that Herod was troubled at this. It says all of Jerusalem was troubled. I told you why I think all of Jerusalem was troubled. They probably didn't know who these guys were. They didn't know who this entourage was. Is this a foreign army that's going to come and invade us? But Herod was troubled for other reasons. But the point is he's troubled. And he gets all the chief priests, gets all the scribes together, and he gathers them in his palace. And he says, look, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? And right away, they knew. Right away, they knew. They turned to Micah 5.2. They showed him that the ruler is going to be born in Bethlehem. And that's the second testimony, really, of Jesus' kingship. You have the testimony of the Scriptures. I want you to notice something there. Look at verse 6. Or verse 5, they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So they look to the Scriptures, and it's an amazing thing because they even believe in the authority of Scripture. Herod actually believed in the authority of Scripture then. When they showed him in the Bible where Jesus was to be born, that's where Herod was going to send his soldiers to kill everybody. And you need to understand something. There's people today that don't believe in the authority of scriptures that Jesus' enemies actually believed in the authority of scripture. The ones who came against Jesus and his enemies throughout, they actually believed in the scriptures. They just didn't recognize Jesus as the Messiah. And so here you've got the authority of God's word as a testimony that Jesus is the king because he was born in Bethlehem. That's an amazing thing in itself because they lived in Nazareth. Joseph and Mary lived in Nazareth. How are you going to get Jesus down to Bethlehem? How are you going to get Mary down there to give birth to Jesus to fulfill the word of God to a T? And Luke tells us 
that it was Quirinius, the governor, who issued the tax, and everybody had to register according to their family. Since Joseph was from the lineage of David, he had to go down and he had to register in Bethlehem. In other words, God moved sovereignly. Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. Christ Community Church has campuses in El Centro, Calexico, and Brawley with services in English and in Spanish. Your kids are going to love our kids' church. Plus, we have a lively youth ministry and young adults group. You're welcome to call the church office at 760-337-9400 with your questions. Or leave us a message on the Christ Community Church IV mobile app, the cccivy.org website, or direct message us on social media. We are really looking forward to meeting you. So again, the website is www.cccivy.org or call 760-337-9400 so we can plan your visit.